0: wide open for questions and thoughts how many have actually read the book wow that's a lot if you were to take the passage that says he was tempting in all things as we have been tempted would you connect that to shame well it certainly says he was tested and always as we were tested What I can say is that if Christ experienced shame, it was not as a result of sin. So that I don't know. Not ever having been in the position of not having sin. Um, So I don't know. Part of me wants to say no, except that he voluntarily puts himself in the place of shame. But to not turn his face from the spitting of the shame is not a shame reaction. But he bears it, you know. And... uh, and all that stuff around him on the cross you know, if you're the son of God come down I mean, you know, wait let's see if he's calling on Elijah let's see if Elijah will come in mean, it's all mocking language the, the robe, the thorns all of that is mocking him as a, as a king it's all mocking stuff I think the most profound it's like to me a great movie moment was in the movie The Passion of the Christ uh, which Beth won't see because it's too gory and she just can't do violence. But and it is a very violent film. But in it, just some of the best cinematography of the story as Christ is being tortured, they have him below the street in the dungeons of the Romans. But above, and like just exactly above him, the, his mother is following his actions. And you can see, it's like she can tell in her heart where he is and what he's enduring. And you see him. And you see her. It is, I mean, without lecturing anybody, it is the most profound statement of the communion between Christ and His Mother. Uh, just as when He is on the cross, a soul will pierce her own soul. Also, you see that in His torture, uh, she is experiencing interiorly the torture as well. I mean, on a lighter side, surely any mother would feel something of that if her child is going through that. This is on a on a profound hypostatic level in the way that St. Sophoni would phrase it. Uh, it's experiencing the deepest personal kind of possible level. Um, but, so, his experiencing of us, I mean, it's something perhaps, it's not the same thing as sinning, but Christ, does, he, he takes our sin upon him. He doesn't make himself a stranger to it. He he bears the full uh, all that going into Hades itself. There's some communion about that, and, and that's very important. Um, so, I've always thought that the worst kind of theology we can do are the theologies that it makes Christ sort of external to us. I mean, historically, yes, all of that. And I, was, I was just writing an article uh, this afternoon at House or earlier today, and I was talking about in, in 1 Corinthians... Uh, Six, I think it is. Paul's talking about being members of Christ. And, you know, if we say I'm a member of that church, we mean like joining the golf club or something, oftentimes. When Paul said member, that word had only ever had one meaning. And that meant like parts of your body. He said we are members of the body of Christ. Meaning I'm a hand, I'm a foot, I'm a fingernail, you know, I'm a something, I'm an ear. I'm a nose. I'm a part of the body. It's so the word medi, means part, M-E-R-I-E or whatever in Greek, medi. but I'm a member of the body. And we we mean something so much lighter than that we can't hear it. Um, but so, and if Paul will then say, if one member suffer, we all suffer. If you suffer, Christ suffers. This is very, very important. I mean, I've I, people want to know I mean, when this child was suffering, where it was Christ. I would say, in the suffering, in the child. This child was tortured, Christ was tortured. Anything less than that would not be love. Anything less than that would be God not having skin in the game. And if we know anything about the incarnation, God got skin in the game. And in some ways, the incarnation just shows us vividly that He's utterly in the game, uh, but He always was. and and so this is the mystery of whatever it is that's going on and I don't have the answers to the final mystery like why he set it all up this way I don't know that answer but I do know that he is in it utterly including you know when I'm bearing my shame he is not a stranger to me that has helped me pray because I don't feel like praying when I feel shame I don't don't feel like talking to anybody usually I want to go do something else that will distract me from my shame, there's a lot of destructive activities that we engage in, not to feel bad. You know, that you know, uh, activities that produce endorphins. They're like a little medicine, keep me from feeling what's really what I'm feeling. You know, a good drink, or something, you know, whatever. So a drug, other kinds of things. Internet activities, scrolling through page, shopping. Have you have a shop to deal with depression? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yes, sir, me. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's people who wind up like uh, hoarding, simply because they just keep getting the medicine, and it keeps coming in the mail. That last little thing—things they will never use, unopened boxes—and it's just—it's not working, or uh, at least not working enough. And it just gets worse and worse and worse, and, worse and you know, it kind of our souls pile up like that. So, another question or thought? Even something out of a book or something you want to get? I was like yeah. kind of wondering this, especially after reading, uh, reading your, uh, stuff and whatever. And I've been affected by this, and I'm sure somebody else has that been too. But I was just wondering about how like, you think uh, shame plays into like suicide and people like taking their their own lives, and stuff like that. Well, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I think it, it certainly, uh, shame feeds depression, uh, anxiety. You know, it's interesting, one of the things I found out when I was going in the hospital and getting treated, I mean, my diagnosis uh, largely was uh, anxiety and depression. Uh, I mean, there are other things that's kind of acting out with that, uh, but uh, being, uh, suicidal ideation is like one of the worst symptoms of it, but it's there. You do think about it because you think about I, need to get, I want to get out of this pain, and it can become. Um, I mean, and there's even some uh, medications for. They warn. They get a warning label on it. But some medications for depression can also increase suicidal ideation. Now, it, it, one of the things that says is if a medication can increase that. I mean, we have thoughts, but when we have thoughts, we have them in a the brain, and a brain is a chemical operation. And you mess with the chemicals, you can wind up with you know, thoughts that you might not have had. Or if you had them, they were very weak. And this chemical palace has changed it, and now it's strong. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. In the, the Orthodox Church, formally, we say that a person who's committed suicide can't be buried from the church. That's formal. I recall a story about the Bishop of California, who for a time was in charge of Alaska as well. They didn't have a bishop up there. But they had a real problem with suicides. There was a lot of alcoholism and a lot of problems with suicides going on. And he sent a letter out to his priest and he said, when there's a suicide in your parish, because if you're going to, to do a funeral for a suicide, you have to get the bishop's blessing. He said, all I want to hear from you if there's a suicide in your parish is give me a reason uh, why uh, they were not responsible. That's all I want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from you that you didn't bury them. You know, basically, this is carte blanche, but you you need to meet the requirement. The truth is, is simply, um, you know, essentially, you're not in your right mind when it happens, uh, and uh, it's very rare that that a suicide would ever fit the, the the real theological requirements for what is meant by that. I've never seen it, and I've very plenty of suicides. So. Uh, But I, I mean, it's a serious business, but shame, and particularly the toxic stuff, you know, and one of the things in my experience is there's, there are toxic things that happened that I didn't even know were toxic. They just, they just were, you know. There were things from my childhood that left me feeling unsafe, and I didn't even know that. Uh, My panic disorder in college began when I was suddenly put in a room with a roommate, Great guy, good friend. But I did not feel safe. And at night I couldn't go to sleep. And it was, I was not going to sleep because panic would wake me up. I could not sleep. And you do, do that for a few weeks and you get pretty crazy. And you start needing something, wanting something. So you go to the hospital. What's wrong? I don't know. Uh, but And it certainly wasn't me sitting there, laying there in bed thinking, well, this is the cause of this that was done to me when I was a child. No, your brain knows, your body knows, what is it do? Uh, that book this last year Your Body Keeps the Score it's a good book as your body does keep the score it remembers when you don't and sometimes you know getting the answer to that trying to figure out where this toxic stuff is coming from requires you to dig uh, requires you to have someone patient enough to listen you know, and help you work through it there's also with therapy there can be uh, some techniques for helping people deal with shame Not every priest, I mean, in fact, I would say most priests aren't very well trained in this. One of my purposes in writing this book uh, was to, I mean, first off, to recognize this is in the tradition. I I point to Sophronia, I point to Zacharias, I point to places in this, uh, in the fourth chapter of uh, St. John of the Ladder. Uh, There, it's it's a whole chapter on shame. And uh, there it said, uh, there's some kinds of shame that you can only heal by shame. And it really is fascinating uh, how the story unfolds in that. But, you know, um, so I hope to give a vocabulary so people can talk about it so that priest you know, some, some suggestions of more reading they might do. Uh, you know, I'm going down at the end of this month to, uh, that's going with me down to uh, Tarpon Springs in Florida uh, with the Greeks because it's full of Greeks and Tarpon Springs uh, to talk to their clergy laity conference on for the Southeast. And I'm excited about that because that's a lot of people to make contact with and introduce the subject. Some will be interested, some won't. It will resonate with some, and it won't with others. And, and that's okay. But it's just useful to know. First off, America, they say, is a shame-bound culture in which it's taboo to talk about shame. And uh, I mean, we've got a culture that when they're protesting over the college, at least one side of the, uh, uh, of the aisle, protests and is shouting, shame, 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 most unhelpful thing in the world. Uh, might be true, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't, you, we are a culture that needs healing because we're made up of a lot of people who need healing and uh, we don't get anywhere when we don't heal each other. And if possible, if we could kill the half of the people in this country that are the problem, <laughs> pick a half. <laughs> the other half, we would create hell again in just a moment. Because it, it lives inside of us. It lives inside of us. So, which reminds me, Russians. Have you seen that um, Vodalashkin has published a new book? The one who wrote Loris? And you know those books? Oh. You wrote a new book. Yeah, he's got a new one called uh, The History of the Island. And it's funky too. it's is interesting, it's, but it's available in Russian and it's just been translated into English. But he goes into uh, Vado African. He wrote Lauras and I've read several of his. But anyway, it's a brand new one. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of the modern Dostoevsky. At least of the 21st century. So, um, another question or something, yeah. Um, what, what kind of language you, would you use for the relationship between the saints and shame? In that most of them have found, like, in part as a wellspring of humility, um, and shame being kind of a, a pathway towards humility. Would it be something they mastered it, they how to use it towards sainthood and towards humility? And what would it have been from years? How would you
1: describe Well, I mean, different
0: saint stories in different ways. On a, on a personal praying level, I find them as my friends, if you will. They're on this side of the shame, too, and can get me over there. In the verse, I have comforted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Um, for a variety of reasons, my relationship with my mama just wasn't good. A lot of it is I had to have a lot of boundaries because she didn't have any. And um, I've, I've got a much better relationship now with her since she died. And I've, I'm not kidding, I do. I can talk to her, I can light candles, we get along fine. And she never says anything to me. And so there's a kind of boundary there that has been established. But, you know, but the mother of God, I mean, prayers to the Theotokos, you know, and communion with the Theotokos, had been healing, a healing presence for me for years, that, uh, you know, I found, for instance, just in my own personal experience, uh, that for years, when I would need something to come up, you know, I'd go see a therapist, but it never did any good, it never helped. And I, I only learned in the last, you know, 10 years, that one of the reasons it didn't work was because I always went to see a guy. And I never realized I was never ever going to be able to open up and do what I needed to do with a guy because of the nature of some of my trauma. and uh, so a few years back by accident, I had a woman, and suddenly found me. that was really okay. It worked. But you don't know things like that. you know we don't come with a you know a, a washing label about how to do this, you know. Therapy wise, he needs to talk to a woman. It's not on the tag in my collar. Um, you just find these things out, you know, where it works, how you can talk. And, you know, someone works for you and doesn't. You know, and we live in a world today that has, like, you know, I mean, in lots of parts of the therapy world have going crazy and, and have got ideologies, and so you've got to pay attention to that. So it is a shopping around, but you can find that. That's just true with everything. And we have to pay attention to that stuff. Um, it's, um, we're a culture that in our modern culture, we've left behind a lot of traditional things that once upon a time would have been in place. Uh, I mean, just think of the fact that if you're living in Romania, pretty much every village has a monastery, a women's <coughs> or a men's monastery. And there's probably somebody there, you know, male or female. It's like in South Carolina, probably one of the best known confessors in South Carolina is the abbess of Saints Mary and Martha Monastery. She's a woman, so she hears confessions, and you have to go find your priest to get an absolution. I usually would say to your priest, I'm going to make confession with Mother Thatcla. That's fine, come back and get it. Now, there's nothing. I mean, if you read through the desert fathers, you'll hear stories about the desert mothers, the Amas, as well as the Abbas. Uh, and this is this is just part of the, the tradition, uh, you know. And how did that work? Well, they had insight, and they were really good listeners, and they could give really good uh, uh, advice. I've been watching some uh, this Romanian nun, and I've seen her do some talks where she's together with uh, Father Noaca, who was a disciple of Saint Sophronia and she's just she's this wisdom. Just flows from her. He's so good. I mean, I would see someone I'd open up to in a heartbeat. But I mean, these kinds of things for us. I mean, here we are. We're orthodox. You have got to drive five, six hours to get to a monastery, and then you may not click with anybody. I go to men's monasteries. And I am bored, and silly. I mean, it's a great place to go be quiet. I don't even know how to be quiet without <laughs> <laughs> nuts. Um, it's
1: like torture. And I'd go
0: sit there and pretend to be holy and just hate every minute of it. Oh, my goodness. They drugged me all over the holy mountain, you know, in Greece. It's torture. You know, and then I'd go to church and they would just whine and greet for hours and hours. It was all. It was holy. It was holy. I was miserable. So, anyway. I've got a story about that tonight for the homily Vespers. Okay. Stay tuned. Another question. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard anybody talk about this, prayer, but today with the cultural piece, we're, you know, we don't even call sin sin anymore. Right. Our culture seems to be confused about what is. sin. How do you know when you should go to confession to confess a sin, or if it's a psychological issue? I mean, how do you know? I, you know, it's like if someone asked me what's a sin, uh, I would say that, that sin is probably not a sin. Uh, sin is best understood as breaking communion with God, yourself, or others. That's what sin. That's what it. Sin is death, and that's that's the primary. Kind of root of the disease of death in us is that I broke, we broke communion with God. So certain actions are clearly break communion with God. Uh, certain things break communion with ourselves. Certain things break communion with others. Uh, you know, I could go to confession ten times a day if you'll give me a break long enough to sin, uh, because I can do it ten, fifteen minutes. Not ready. I mean, you know, I it's. it's you know, The church, the OCA, generally recommends confession about every six weeks. We require confession once a year to be in good standing, they say. But, you know, we're not legalists either. Those are kinds of the good guidelines on that. I would say some people's, uh, I've joked about this, that hearing confessions of Americans is a lot like listening to Woody Allen. Uh, We're very, the comedian. We're very introspective and have a lot to say about ourselves in there, and uh, I've heard, uh, forgive me, I'll say this, confessions of Russians are oftentimes easier than confessions of Americans. Generally, when they're bad, they're bad, when they're good, they're good, and they don't spend all their time being tortured. But Americans are highly psychologized as a culture. We think too much. And uh, so I found it easier, just over the years, to use that comparison. Romanians are another group altogether. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. Well, I've actually gotten confused with confession. Yeah. Um, yeah, in times in the past, where our fathers confessed a sin, and then I would be told, well, maybe you need therapy. So there It's like, it just leaves me- Some gonna- sin needs a bit of therapy. You know, I mean, it, it's, it can be a, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. We, you know, Uh, the therapy can't forgive you. There's a level that it can't heal. Uh, You know, it it can help you understand better what's going on, but what we need in confession, if you will, uh, is healing. Jesus uh, heals the man who was paralyzed, tells him to take up your bed and walk, and and then says, your sin's forgiven. And they said, how can you forgive sins? And Jesus said, what's the difference whether I say... Your sins forgiven, arise, take it to your bed and walk. In other words, he treats them as the same thing. Confession is a form of healing. All of the sacraments, all seven of the sacraments of the church are all about restoring communion. They're all about being one with God. Every single one of them. In one way or another, is about union with God. Baptism blatantly about union with God. We plunge you into the death of Jesus We raise you in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, so you go to confession and, you know, today it is, it comes out as anger and fear or I I was just, I ate a quart of ice cream. I mean, because I was feeling bad and I just stuffed myself, you know. And it's something. I mean, whatever the things are, but what all of those things are, I mean, might not need therapy for any of that. Um, But some things, especially... Persistent things, you know. Um, and someone could come and say, for instance, I've got suicidal thoughts. Well, this, you know, that does need healing. But it also, as a priest, I'd be crazy if I didn't tell somebody they need to do some therapy of some sort because it's a serious business. And, you know, and there may be more going on there than I'm seeing in 15 minutes of confession. You know, and so you, 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 you try to be helpful. I've got a couple of people that I've recommended over the years because I know them and trust them. And I know they're not going to try to do any weird stuff to anyone I send to them. My, one of my daughters went to a therapist uh, some years ago dealing with an anxiety problem. I thought, well, I'm familiar with that. And she called up and she said, she went to her therapist and she kind of picked one out of the phone book and said, Christian therapist. I thought, oh, no, please, no. Because in the South, that means evangelical and that means bad theology. And sure enough, first session, she's talking and the therapist recommends exorcism. I told her, run, dear. Run. It won't work. You don't have a demon. Uh, and not just that, but any therapist who thinks you do, run. I mean, it's just, golly gee. Uh, I mean, what a shallow analysis. <laughs> can you see shame now as preventing people from going to confession? It can, Sure. And you keep confessing the same thing over and over again, it just seems like, should we still do that? <laughs> well, I mean, what I would say when somebody says, I come, to, I come to confession and I find that I keep confessing the same thing over and over again, my answer to that is, it's called a personality. Okay? I mean, well, I mean, there's who I am and who you are, and given who I am and various things that have happened, I have a propensity towards certain sins. I just do. You do too, and it's kind of part of your personality makeup. Some of it's your fault, a lot of it's not. Some of it's, you know, kind of how we were raised, what we inherited, it's all kinds of things. But it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't, it, it, it can still be breaking our communion with God, and it needs confession. But if you came into confession, and it was different every time, that would be really weird. <laughs> I mean, it would be kind of like your personality isn't stable. Like you're coming in, you know, the seven faces of Eve or three faces how many of that was coming in with a different personality each time. That's enough, you know. It's, no, you're the, you know. Um, and so, which is why we sometimes say things like, I'm getting better, meaning it was in this last six weeks since I made my last confession, I, I seem to have had a better handle on it. My general thought, I don't want to say it to anybody, is that, well, it's probably not disappeared. Um, St. Paul had something, he called it a demon, don't know, that tortured him. And, and he even said it was sent by God uh, to keep him from getting so puffed up. And I just, I don't know what that was, but I don't want one. Uh, but Paul had that, and I love it. He says he prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. I, I was impressed. Three whole times, Paul? I mean, I'd, been, I'd have burned up a wire on that one. But he had prayed three times. And God said to him each time, uh, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so in a sense, it's like Paul. I mean, Paul was such an excellent apostle. God had to allow a demon to torture him to keep him humble. That's pretty excellent as apostleship goes. And it apparently worked. But you uh, you and I, thank God, don't wrestle with anything that's so great that we need a demon to torture us. We can torture ourselves. Uh, but, in other words, just don't be surprised that you repeat yourself, uh, that you find yourself wrestling with the very thing you did. And, and, you know, I would say, for instance, though I found a great deal of relief and healing by getting some toxic stuff dealt with, such that I've been panic free for 10 years in my life, uh, doesn't mean that stuff doesn't, doesn't still have issues in me. I'm just grateful for whatever reason that God saw fit to let that really, really terrible one pass away. But I still—I mean, you know—and uh, I think one of the Desert Fathers said, "Prayer is a struggle to a man's dying breath." That's true. The struggle with sin as well. We don't ever get past it until we're done. Amen. Um, I, I'm willing to pause it because orthodoxy it's so crazy we can do this. I'm willing to posit there is such a thing as a saint without sin. Um, some speculated that St. John the Baptist was that way. Uh, some have said St. John the Theologian was that way. We certainly say that of the Mother of God, that she was without sin. Um, so that's not an unusual thought for us. Uh, you know, I'm not there, don't necessarily expect to be there. Uh if you know if God's got that kind of perfection laid out for me, he needs to hurry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've not made much progress and I've not got a lot of time left. So anyway. What time have we got? Where are we? Took my watch off like I didn't need. We probably we got ten more minutes and we'll stop at four thirty. And so they get prepared for desperate at fire you know I don't know if you're all saying you're welcome to you, know, you may be totally worn out already, but and I'll be hearing confessions tonight while like the candles away, and you'll, you know, the hard things after getting a talk like this that people come in to do confession and you overthink it, like you know oh, what did he say about that or just do whatever you normally do, don't think about it. Uh, it's okay and I don't judge confessions anyhow so one more question perhaps I can spend ten minutes on anything hmm. yeah um, one of the things you're saying here about It's very much from Father Zacharias. Yeah. 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 So that makes me wonder two things. One, how do the guys know specifically how God sees me specifically? Like I know how God sees me in common, but how do you find out how God sees you specifically? And then how do you also build the courage to do that, to see ourselves as God sees us? Well, and part of that is... To say for me if I'm expressing it would be to stand naked before him that is, it, everything I'm aware of of me, bring you then into his presence. Someone said, uh, God can make a saint out of the sinner you are, uh, but he can't, or he can save the sinner you are, but he can't save the saint you pretend to be. Yeah, that's how it goes, and so it's, it's there, you know. I think sometimes. You know, that I present things to him as me that are, you know, in my naked self that I find out aren't me. Uh, not because I'm lying about it, but because I can't see it clearly. So there's, there's, it's kind of a process in which you're actually, um, you know, it's also healing how you see yourself. And at the same time as it heals how you see yourself, it's healing how you see God. I mean, it's, it's, it, that whole thing is tied up. Um, we, we ultimately don't know God any better than we know ourselves, and we don't know ourselves any better than we know God. It's a package deal. And, and that's, um, I mean, to me, that's part of the prayer of just God help me to know you. And in doing that, I'm going to have to know me. Um, I joked, and I mean it seriously, but I joke anyway, that... Uh, as uh, they say the last decade or so Connor, and I've gotten older as a priest that the older I get as a priest uh, the worse I become as a priest and what I mean by that is you know, my first Episcopal parish we went from 85 people to 450 in 7 years I thought I was good you know. and in hindsight I see just how neurotic I was what an ass I was so many other things that just you know it happened despite me and stuff that way, but I certainly and it it made me a little crazy in many ways and things that I've really had to repent of over the years and, uh, you know it's uh, so I I say that as in, Jesus didn't need me to be a really talented special priest it's not how priesthood works you know the whole palim's ass thing he doesn't need you to be that guy. And as a child, I thought being bright and special and first in the class was everything. And it's like, no, I, I loved you without that, and I still will. You know, it's, so so that's, that's sort of that process. So it's actually, um, I see me as worse than I thought I was, and it's so much happier. Because what I see that's worse is so loved. Uh, but I didn't know that, and I've discovered that it's making it's made me much more compassionate with other priests. For instance, I used to be hell on wheels judging other priests, incompetent poops, whatever, you know, and just being it's like God can do anything. Just be there, make the offering. it's. it's He's such a good God. He's so generous to us. We, we, we are, Paul says we, it hasn't even entered into our minds, thoughts, ears, whatever, the good things God has prepared for us. We have no idea. And I, I think if we knew how much he loved us and we could actually see this, see it, it, it I mean, you'd be slain, laid on the floor, and unbel, just in utter unbelief. His love is just that way for us. You know, he'd have done everything he did if it was only you all of it. I mean, been busy. you'd had to crucify him and everything, but, you know, he was forgiving them from there. Let me see so we what we You got a question? there. As you were talking about her, uh, Christ standing on our side in our shame, the story of uh, the grown serpent came to my mind. Yes. But is there a connection between uh, Christ saying, I am that grown serpent and Him staying on our side? I don't know. I mean, you certainly could in some ways uh, see it that way, that he's entered into it. I mean, I think it's just really important. I mean, we understand I mean, that the nature of the Incarnation is he became humanity. He became us. Uh, he, he became, and even just recently in talking about Ascension, that it, it, the, the hymns of the Church talking about him carrying our humanity with him into heaven, and describes Carrying our sinful humanity with him, I mean, which he certainly will heal in is healing, but it's not like he became, I mean, and he, he was without sin, but he took just regular humanity into himself. He became that. And, I mean, just the becoming of us was itself an entrance into our shame. Just becoming that. Um, there's a story uh, told. It's uh, just an apocryphal tale about the fall of Satan. Okay, lucifer, he's in the heavens and God is unveiling his plan for humanity to the angels. And he shows him what he's going to do in creating man and he's going to raise him above the angels. And it's is that Lucifer saw the Theotokos and all of this sort of plan. And he got really upset, it provoked his pride that God was going to do this with mud. The angels are being of light, but God was going to do this with mud and raise them higher than the angels, and it provoked his fall. I've often thought, if that's not true, it rhymes with what's true. Because first off, I know he hates us, and I've, I have know some stories of exorcisms when he calls us mud. He, he thinks of us as just mud. And, and I know he hates the mother of God more than any of us. Just, it, it, it just can't bear her and her wonder and her beauty and, and all of that um, so uh, yeah everything everything rhymes I, I usually like to say that, that uh, everything in scripture everything that's been made known to us is Pascha and that if you want to understand anything read it through Pascha that's where it all kind of makes sense unmitigated love of God uh, coming into our hell of freeze. Well kinda of... Adrian, did you have one last thing? No? Okay to say that. come over and ask me. Yeah. Um but let's let's stand and, and I'll close this with prayer and y'all can build about or refresh yourselves or whatever between now and, and desperate. Well oh, Christ God in coming among us you did not turn your face from the spitting and the shame, but you bore it that you might be one with us and that through that we might be one with you. Uh, o oh Lord, grant us the grace of your presence beneath all the uh, pretense and shame that separates us from you and from ourselves and enter into us and heal our souls. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Through you, all things are possible. To you, we give up glory Together with your Father who is everlasting, all holy good, and life giving spirit now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen.